Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Brother Jess is on the road again. And Jesse, uh, I just want to say I'm excited about today's show because the segment three, Evangelizing Through Authentic Friendship. I always say people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's one of the topics. We're also going to be talking about a lone survivor priest, the Grunt Padre author, who's now the head of the chaplain of the Coast Guard. That got me excited to know that he's there ministering to our men and women in uniform. Also, this is pretty funny, Jesse. A 104-year-old sister remembers fooling the Nazis with four coffins. What's that about, man? But I, I love it already. And much, much more. Jess, uh, the good-to-know file is this. Good to know that the Anglican Archbishop of Kenya is singles that is a split with the Church of England over same-sex blessings. So we've seen it before how the Church of England, every time they lower the bar, Jesse, they split, whether it was women's ordination, contraception. Every time they go, oh, well, we're going to you know, lower the bar on, on a morality. And uh, the Anglican Church is uh, really, at, especially in America, probably won't even be around in 30 years because they're not reproducing. So that's good to know, File. One more thing, Jess. Pope Francis discussed revising priestly celibacy in a new interview. I have the statistics for ordinations for the last 10 years. The Holy Father has been the Pope for the last 10 years. And I might, it might not shock you, but vocations are at their lowest level in, uh, for the last 10 years. And so I, I, would, I would give my advice to the Holy Father and say, uh, yeah, there's a lack of vocations because there's a lack of clarity in the church. They want to know what the church teaches. Who's going to give their life to Christ when so much ambiguity is out there? So I would encourage the Holy Father to reel in these liberals who are teaching things that are part of the deposit of faith, and I guarantee the, the vocations will go up. That's my take, Jess. Are you there, Jesse? Okay, I can't hear Jesse, but I'm gonna call in on the eight seven seven number because I'm having a no problem. I can hear you time. now. I can hear it's you now. In yeah. So Jesse, I made a point. Yeah, Wi-Fi connection. Okay. I was just making the point that I'm gonna, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call, call in, in Terry call on in, the triple eight number. You got it. You got it. Yeah, so let me call in. That's one more bit of information that I think would be good. I also want to just remind everybody. Uh, Jess wrote an article that I think is so good for keeping your faith and your sanity in this present darkness we find ourselves in. Are you there, Jess? Are you there, Jess? Yeah, Terry. Terry. Okay, brother. I just gave some good to know uh, information file, and I wanted to turn it over to you now, brother. Yeah, I want to ma just mention a few things as well. I'm here at an undisclosed uh, bunker here in uh, <laughs> and. Uh, the suburb of North Lake, Illinois, St. John Vianney Parish. I'm going to do the parish mission. Just a, the, the liberal Washington Post this week published a lengthy report on a lay group that in the Post words outed a prominent gay priest in 2021. The purpose of the group, however, was to seek reform and healing in the church after clergy sex abuse scandals. The priest in question was Monsignor Jeffrey Burrell, who was caught engaging in inappropriate sexual activity after being tasked with helping coordinate the church's response to sexual misconduct <laughs> by clergy. They call him Monsignor Grinder. Yeah. Uh, also, President Joe Biden is voicing staunch opposition to Republican-led legislatures 
restricting so-called gender-affirming care for minors. Yep. The president has called laws banning such procedures outrageous and immoral. European countries, however, are moving in the opposite direction of the Biden administration. There are seven nations that are currently following the science of gender dysphoria uh, more closely than the United States over in Europe. Also, students are fighting back. A group of pro-life students at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, yep. are pushing back against their school's initiative to distribute Plan B to students on campus via a vending machine. Unbelievable. The University Students for Life group created a pension to stop the vending machine installation. A group member and student, Sarah Miller, reached out to Catholic Vote and shared details of the school's plan. And finally, hmm. Visa and MasterCard are nixing gun tracking plan. Visa and MasterCard paused plans to track gun and ammunition purchases after receiving blowback from gun rights advocates and supporters. Hmm. The payment processing giants had announced last year that they, could, that they would adopt a new merchant category code that could be used to be more meticulously track Americans who purchase guns and ammunition. The plan is now being scuttled thanks to a public outcry. And finally... The GOP effort to stop China's influence in Hollywood, Representative Mark Green, Republican from Tennessee on Wednesday, reintroduced the, stop, the stopping communist regimes from engaging in edits now, it's called the Screen Act, which creates regulations that would prevent the Chinese Communist Party from continuing its practice of altering Hollywood movies to align with communist sensibility. Unbelievable. The CCP will not make our film industry an arm of its propaganda machine, Good. Said, uh, said Mr. Green, Mark Green, who is chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee. Terry. We need more of that. We need more pushback with China and all the, you know, evil. Uh, well, they're communists. They're, what do you think? They're atheistic communist government. They're not going to buy anything of, of us. So let's keep pushing back on them. Jesse, uh, let's get some soul food in our soul. This is a Friday of Lent. Remember, everybody, no meat today. And I want to remind you, this is a day, especially uh, during Lent, to make some sacrifice for the salvation of souls. Because uh, let's be honest, the world is in deep trouble. Yes. Today's also the month of St. Joseph. Pray for us. Amen. So because it's the month of St. Joseph, I want to read about the first St. Joseph in the Old Testament, the first reading today at Holy Mass. Great. Genesis, 30, Genesis 37, chapter, verse 3 and following. Israel loved Joseph, Israel's Joseph's dad. Israel loved Joseph best of all his sons, for he was the child of his old age, and he had made him a long tunic. When his brothers saw that their father loved him best of all his sons, they hated him so much that they would not even greet him. One day when his brothers had gone to pasture, mm -hmm. their father's flocks at Shechem, Israel said to Joseph, your brothers, you know, are tending our flocks at Shechem. Get ready. I will send you to them. So Joseph went after his brothers and caught up with them in Dothan. They noticed him from a distance, and before he came up to them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, here comes that master dreamer. Come on, let us kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns here. We could say that a wild beast devoured him. We shall then see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben, the oldest brother, heard this, he tried to save him from their hands, saying, 
We must not take his life instead of shedding blood, Reuben continued. Just throw him into that cistern there in the desert, but do not kill him outright, close quote. His purpose was to rescue his, his brother from their hands and return him to his father. So when Joseph came up to them, they stripped him of his long tunic he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the cistern, which was empty and dry. They then sat down to their meal. Looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels laden with gum, balm, and resin to take down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what is to be gained by killing our brother and concealing his blood? Rather, let us sell him to these Ishmaelites instead of doing away with him ourselves. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh. His brothers agreed. They sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, what's interesting, Joseph is a type of Christ. Exactly what happened to Joseph in the Old Testament yep. is what happened to Jesus in the New Testament. Yep. Who, are Jesus, who are Jesus' brothers in the New Testament? The Israelites. And every sinner, by the way, because every sinner has put him on the cross. And every one of us are sins. We sold him into slavery. We sold him into the, the, his passion and death, which, by the way, he, willfully, he, he willingly accepted. And, and so Christ has become our kinsman redeemer. Just like Joseph, if you read later on in the book of Genesis, when Joseph reaches the high place uh, at, at the right hand of Pharaoh in Egypt, he's like the governor now. Joseph is able to provide for his family and, and actually give them food so that they don't starve to death. So Joseph is a type of Christ, and Jesus is the fulfillment of Joseph of the Old Testament. Notice that both of them were sold for 20 pieces of silver. Terry? Jesse, I, I know it's going to take a little bit, but we got time. I want to also tie in the gospel of today because there's a connection with the first reading and the second reading. Sure. And if you got, I mean, we got another minute here, but Je- then I go over. Jesus said, yeah, go for it. Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people, mm-hmm. here's another parable. Yep. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. Then he leased it to the tenants and went on a journey. When vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to obtain his produce. But the tenants seized the servants, and and one they beat, another they killed, and a third they stoned. Again, he sent other servants, more numerous than the first ones, but they treated them the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, thinking, they will respect my son. That's Jesus, and that's a metaphor of Jesus. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and acquire his inheritance. They seized him, <clears throat> threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. That's exactly what they did to Jesus. Yep. What will the owner of the vineyard do? That's God the Father. To those tenants, when he comes, they answered, he will put those wretched men to a wretched death and lease his vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the proper time. Wow. Jesus said to them, yeah, we'll come back. We'll that. come back. And the reason I want that reading is because you see how the two are tied in. You're listening to the yeah. Terry and Jesse yeah. show. On Virgin Most Powerful Radio, we're reading the gospel today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after a quick break. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jess is reading both readings today because of the tie-in that's really profound. Jess, continue and and give us a little catechesis, brother. 
Yeah, Jesus said to them, did you never read the scriptures? Mm -hmm. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord has this been done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that will produce its fruit. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they knew that he was speaking about them, and although they were attempting to arrest him, they feared the crowds, for they regarded him as a prophet, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of Joseph in the Old Testament, exactly. who was sold by his brothers, thrown in a cistern, and sold as a slave. Mm -hmm. And then Joseph later ended up saving his brothers. When the famine came upon the land, he, he ended up feeding his brothers, using the surplus of the pharaohs uh, that the pharaoh had in his barns to save his family and to feed them, and had mercy on them. Well, that's what happened with Jesus Christ in the New Testament. He was basically thrown in, into the cistern called the Passion, yep. his death and resurrection, by his brothers, the Israelites, the Jewish yep. people. And, uh, and Jesus Christ, as a result of his resurrection, uh, Jesus Christ is now able to feed us, not with barns from the Pharaoh's, uh, you know, farm, uh, from, the, from, the Pharaoh's, from the Pharaoh's storehouse. Jesus now feeds us with the tree of life, which is the Holy Eucharist Amen. that he gives to all his brothers and sisters in Christ. He is our kinsman redeemer. That's a Hebrew word that means that the oldest son of the family is the one that redeems the family. Christ is the oldest son of the family of God the Father. He is our kinsman redeemer. He's a fulfillment of Joseph of the Old Testament. Well said, Jess. Thanks for taking the time on both of those readings. Let's bring the smartest guy into the room now, Archbishop Sheen. Oh, Sheen ahead. I like this statement, Jess. If you do not worship God, you will worship something, and nine times out of ten, it'll be yourself. Does that describe our culture? Yeah. You have a duty to worship God, not because he will be uh, imperfect and unhappy if you do not, but because you will be imperfect and unhappy. Jesse, I've never seen a culture in my lifetime as misled by me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, and I've never seen so many unhappy people. And isn't it interesting, as people leave the churches, especially the Catholic Church, and join secular humanism, their happiness in their life goes way down, suicide goes up, and all the bad things fill in. So the bottom line, what Sheen's telling us is, if we don't worship God, we're going to worship ourselves. That's right. And, and speaking about somebody who did not worship himself, exactly. but inst inst instead gave himself as a selfless <laughs> sacrifice for others, yeah. was the Grunt Padre, okay. and also this other priest that's in this article called Father Daniel Mode. Mm. So let's hear about selfless love. Let's hear exactly. about courage and chivalry. Yeah. Meet the lone survivor priest and the Grunt Padre author who is now the head chaplain of the Coast Guard. Father Daniel Mode was a chaplain for the Lone Survival SEAL team in Afghanistan and has authored a book about the famed Grunt Padre, Father Vincent Capadano. Now, there's a, dis there's a new distinction on Father Mode's impressive service record, leading the chaplaincy efforts of the U.S. Coast Guard, the first Catholic's priest, to hold the import that important role in 12 years. Yet, <clears throat> Father Mode says his greatest mission is bringing the peace of Jesus Christ to the service members and to the civilians that he ministers to. Amen. He gets it, Terry. He certainly yeah, gets it. Father Mo says, peace is my, man, my mantra. He was ordained in 1992 in the Diocese of Arlington 
where he served 13 years. He was the pastor of the Queen of the Apostles Parish in Alexandria from 2001 to 2005. Father Daniel Mould was deployed as a chaplain to Afghanistan in 2005, and within the first 24 months of being in, in theater, in war, in combat, he came face-to-face with the realities of war. He said, Father Mould said, I had my first death. A soldier died in my arms in a field hospital in Kandahar. After ministering to service members in Afghanistan for 22 months, Father Mould said he realized the amazing need for chaplains, and he felt the call within a call to continue to serve those who serve. And since receiving his bishop's permission to become a full-time active military chaplain in 2007, Father Mode has worked to share God's peace in his ministry all over the world. He spent nine years overseas, seven of those years on ships and and aircraft carriers. Father Mode says, I've served in very remote places and very overseas places, and it just reinforced that service members need their shepherds, they need their chaplains, close quote. How has he sustained such incredible challenges as a priest and a military chaplain? Well, Father Mode, now a Navy captain, explained that, quote, God is preeminent in my life. My Savior Jesus gives me hope for the future. I believe in grace, and I believe that God gives us the grace to continue, close quote. Well, in June 2005, Father Mode went through a little bit of, of grief with the SEAL team. He was serving as a Navy chaplain, moving from one forward, forward operating base, a FOB, to another every few days. Well, one day Father Mode received word that a SEAL Team 10, the SEAL Team 10 was in dire need of a chaplain after an elite group of SEALs had been ambushed and killed by Taliban warriors, leaving only a lone survivor by the name of Marcus Luttrell. So, Father Mode explains what happened. He says, quote, when that happened, the Navy SEALs specifically requested a Navy chaplain there were very few of us in the country at the time, so I was sent in there for those, for those weeks to care for them. It was indeed tragic and very historic, especially for the Navy SEALs, and actually the largest loss of life to, of that, to that time of American service members in Afghanistan. Marcus Luttrell, if you remember, the Navy SEAL, he went on to write a book about his horrific experiences titled Lone Survival. Uh, the book came out in 2008, which was later turned into a major motion picture, starting Catholic actor Mark Wahlberg. Yet very few know that when disaster struck SEAL Team 10, the man who responded to the call for help was a Catholic priest. Father Moe described his time serving the tragedy-stricken unit as several weeks of intense ministry. Mm. And besides ministering to those left behind, he honored the sacrifices of the fallen presiding over ramp ceremonies at Bagram Airfield. He said, it underlies the reality that there's a lot of difficulties like that, a lot of tragedies that happen in conflict and war, and chaplains are always there on the front lines. Father Mode said of those experiences, the key with any difficulty that you enter into is just to give them, the soldiers, space and time to be able to speak. Mm-hmm. There, you want to pick it up? For- yeah, and this is what I really like with Father Mode, who's, who, who had an advanced degrees in theology, church history, went to a Navy chaplain school in Newport, Rhode Island. He realized that a nearby uh, anchor ship, uh, a nearby street, and the school chapel were all named after a Medal of Honor recipient, Father Vincent Capodono, 
a Navy chaplain during the Vietnam War. This guy we've talked about over the years because he's the man's yeah. man. Capano dedicated himself whole, himself wholeheartedly to the Marines in his care, giving special care to the lowest-ranking service members called the Grunts. Capano became a beloved companion, father of the soldiers, living and eating and sleeping in the harshest conditions alongside them. He dedicate, his, his dedication earned him the nickname the Grunt Padre. Let me just give you a story because I read the book. And I remember one story yeah. where uh, they were under fire and there was a soldier who got shot and he needed to get to medical attention. And, um, you know, he, he got taken care of. Father took good care of him. But this time father was in the hospital. He was shot and he was dying. And the guy came to see father to thank him for everything he's done. Well, this is a guy who before he went to the Vietnam War, was living with a woman, not under marriage. And father had already talked to him about getting, his mar- getting, ble- getting married in the church and that after this war, I'll do that for you. And the guy says, okay, father, yeah, I should do it the right way. Fine. Well, here is father on his deathbed. He can barely speak. And this guy comes in and he says to the guy, now remember, you get back home, the first thing I want you to do is get married. Don't be living with that woman because if you do, I'm going to come back and kick your, and he, I won't say what word he said, <laughs> on his deathbed, Jesse. And, and you know what the soldier said to the, fa- to the father? Yes, sir, father. When I get home, that's the first thing I'll do. And now wow. this is the kind of man he was. Here he is dying, kind of like what Fulton Sheen did last week when we talked about here he is his last day or two of life. He's still ministering to souls. This is why Father Vincent is a model to this priest because he saw his dedication to serving God's people. What an amazing yeah, story! Yeah, I love Gary. it. I love that story. Yeah, it touches me, Brad. Yes. Yeah, this is yeah, this, these both these priests, Father Moore and Father Capadano. Uh, this is the epitome of, of courage and chivalry, patriotism and faith. Uh, Father Mode, he wrote a thesis. He wrote a he wrote a book. It's called mm-hmm. The Grunt Padre. I read it. Yep. Robert Capadano, yep. Vietnam, nineteen sixty six to nineteen sixty seven. Father Mode, he told Catholic News Agency that Capadano's cause for canonization is clear diocesan level mm-hmm. and is now underway in the Vatican, with one miracle already attributed to the intercession of Father Capadano. His cause is now being considered for the next level, venerable. So as an expert on Father Capadano's life and service, Father Mode continues to be called in by the church hierarchy to advise on his canonization. And as an Ainsley chaplain himself, Father Mode says the Grunt Padre has had an incredible impact on his personal ministry. He says Mm -hmm. this, his life, his witness, his spiritual care has affected me, Father Mode said. In Afghanistan, Afghanistan, I would often say, what would Father Capadano do in this situation? <laughs> That's a great question. Whether with the yeah, whether with the Navy SEALs, whether with all the other units I was with, whether with this death or this, with the, with this death or this person was coming for a difficult counseling situation, what would Father Capadano do? And so, uh, the Father Mode has a new role. It's the same mission. On April 2002, Father Mode was appointed head chaplain of the U.S. Coast Guard, mm. a role based in Washington D.C., in which he oversees 150 other chaplains of different faiths. The point that I want to make is this. Tell me. Is that you have this, this priest show what's called uh, uh, heroic, heroic, heroic virtue. Heroic virtue. And that's what's required to become a saint. That's right, buddy. When people are being canonized, the yep. church looks and says, 
that this person possessed heroic virtue. I can tell you Father Cappadona certainly did, and Father Moe certainly does. These guys have, uh, they remind me of what Theodore Roosevelt said one day. (laughs) Theodore Roosevelt said the following quote, far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to take rank with these poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. Well said, Jesse. That's the question I ask myself every time. What would Fulton Sheen do? See, we all have to have mentors in life. Fulton Sheen's our mentor. I'll give you another mentor. You've got a minute to say. Pope Pius X, what a great man he is. He has something Mm. about being a shepherd and the account of being a shepherd and not being a shepherd who doesn't teach. In other words, he has to be accountable. Here we are in the same situation. When we come back, now we're going to talk about... A 104-year-old sister remembering how she fooled Nazis with four coffins. What's that about? Well, you're going to like this and much more on the Terry and Jesse Show. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. You know, yesterday I said... Or two days ago, I said, Jess, every time you come on, dude, you're in a different hotel room. Well, it's because the man's <laughs> jumping all over the country for Lent. You're doing missions. T- tell us, Jesse, do you know where you're at and what time, if anybody's in that area? Tell us where you're at today. Yeah, tonight I'm going to be at St. John Vianney Parish. Yeah. It's uh, North Lake, Illinois. It's a suburb of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll start, I'm, I'm going to be on today from 7 to 8.30, talking about the four last Things. Oh, I Death, love that topic. Judgment, heaven, and hell. Awesome. That's, All right. That's a perfect that's a perfect Lenten oh, talk. Oh, it sets right well for that. Jess, let's talk about this 104-year-old sister. What's the story on her? Well, these are just inspirational stories. We just gave you Father Cappadonna, yeah. Father Mode. Yeah. It's Friday, so I wanted to end with some in, inspirational oh, stories yeah. because, the, because there are uninspirational Catholics in our country yeah. in high places so I figured that I would offset the uninspirational Catholics with inspirational Catholics. So, yeah, this is a nun. She, a uh, 104-year-old sister, <laughs> she'll, she will always be remembered for fooling the Nazis with four coffins. So here's the story. On January 7th, Sister Luisidia Casagrande, a nurse at the clinical laboratory at the Borgo Trent Trento Hospital in Verona for 68 years, she died at the age of 104. Can you imagine? She worked at a hospital helping people for 68 years. They called her the angel of the laboratory, (laughs) which she felt it was her home. And she managed to save its essential tools and materials during World War II with an ingenious ruse. You'll see what she did. <laughs> so Lena, Lena was her given name. She was born June 20th, 1918, in the province of Treviso to a family of humble origins. She took her vows at the age of 20 in 1938. But the call had come when she was only a young girl of not even 14. Wow. When she told her father of her intention to become a sister, he didn't object. He did, however, advise her to think about it carefully so you won't have to regret it tomorrow. So the beginning of her, of her work as a nurse, this is what happened. Yeah. 
The year after taking her vows, she obtained her diploma as a professional nurse with the permission of her institute, the Sisters of Mercy of Verona. She took a job that same year at the clinical laboratory before there had, before there had never been any sisters working there. The mother superior gave the director at the time permission to hire her. <laughs> so Sister <coughs> Lucidia's personal and professional story is one of great stature. Uh, Callisto Marco, Marco Bravi, the general director of the Integrated University, University Hospital Company of Verona, told the Italian press that, quote, Sister Luisidia is part of our progress. She started when analysis were still done manually and continued working until she used the most modern technologies. So Sister Luisidia was very focused on treating patients with love and dignity as integral human beings, even when she was just dealing with samples to be analyzed. The Italian paper reports that she was fond of saying, quote, let us remember that in a test tube, there's first of all a patient, and that in that test tube, no matter how little there is, there's always a whole person. God bless her. Yeah, so, so she definitely... Uh, she under, she like got it, man. In this country. She understands about, uh, you oh, know, <laughs> about cloning. These are human beings that people are messing with. So Sister Lucidia, here's her awards and recognition. She always dedicated herself to her work with deep commitment and great care, receiving numerous awards for this. In fact, in 1976, the Verona Hospital Institutes awarded this nun the gold medal of merit. In 2002, she received the city's gold medal. And in 2007, she was awarded the, the honor of Knight of the Order of Merit of the Italian Republic. The governor of Italy described the sister's example and professionalism to the Italian paper, he said, in almost 70 years of service, this nun demonstrated a dedication that was the result not only of professional commitment, but of a deeper motivation. She will remain a model for all those engaged in our healthcare system, close quote. Now, here's the good part. Yes. Here's where this nun tripped the Nazis <laughs> in saving the laboratory. Here it is. Okay. There's an episode that shows the strength and character of this sister who had a petite physique, but a fiery spirit. She herself recounted it with clear memories, even when she was 100 years old. The Italian paper reproduces her words. It was 1943. In the morning, I would arrive at the hospital before the Germans. So day by day, I would take away material and small equipment, the, ne the necessary to perform the most urgent examinations. In the laboratory, there were coffins from the municipality for the indigent. I filled four of them with that material. <laughs> then I called the hearse. The driver was a trusted person. We loaded the four coffins, and I got in as well. Only instead of, instead of taking them to the cemetery, we took them to the military hospital in Piazzetta, Santo Spiritu, where the patients of the, of the civilian hospital were admitted. Thus... The laboratory didn't miss a single day of activity to help the war-stricken population. Terry, you want to pick it up? That was that was quick on her part. I love that. Yeah, the bombing. Yeah. Okay, here's the, the night of July 5th, 1944. She was at the military hospital when a bombing destroyed, the bomb destroyed everything. 45 patients in the surgical ward. Five of her sisters died. Sister Lucia 
tried desperately to save them, but was unsuccessful. Who knows how much pain she bore in her heart due to that day. You got that right. The sister lived her work as a true mission, a special way of caring for people and for the Lord, alive and present more than ever in the sick. You know, Jess, who knows how many health care workers have been inspired by her example, by her ability to work with love, because as Gebran wrote, when you work with love, you establish a bond with yourself, with others, and with God. I would think that she would be the model for all people who are in the hospital business. And, you know, the Hippocratic Oath, in other words, do no harm. This woman took it serious, and she got it right, and she didn't just think about it. She didn't just say, this is what I believe. She lived it out, man. She was a, uh, an example for all medical assistants, anybody in the medical field, to say this is how care should be taken. Terry, the Catholic Church built the first hospital, and we have a we have a long track record oh, yeah, big time. of treating the the sick and dying. Oh yeah. In fact, in fact, no private institution has a close. better record of serving the sick and dying right. than the Roman Catholic Church, bar none. None. And it, 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 it even goes. We even go back in the Middle Ages, Terry, right. where you could see, for example, here's another story of Saint Camillus Delilus. He was a soldier for hire at the age of 17. And by the age of 25, as a soldier, he had gambled away everything that he had. <laughs> but he found work at a Capuchin friary, and he was moved to repentance. Mm. The friars re- refused to let him take vows because of his ulcerous leg. Mm. Nonetheless, he progressed in the spiritual life under the direction of St. Philip Neri, who counseled him towards the priesthood. So Camillus, a soldier now wanted to be a priest who would serve Christ in the sick. So he went ahead, St. Camillus, and gathered like-minded men for the work. He then founded a hospital where fresh air and good food were the norm. He gave priority to the hygiene and privacy. And in 1595, uh, he established an order known as the Camillians, they were the first nurses to serve in a mobile unit on the battlefield. So what's the point? Battlefield medics were started by the Catholic Church. And Jesse, I think back on what the Bible says about what you do unto the least of my brothers, you do unto me. And the hospital care without the Catholic Church wouldn't be where it is today. As a matter of fact, lots of developments came from saints, saints uh, the Catholic Church people where science was uh, being worked up and the Catholic Church was at the uh, tip of knowledge on taking care of patients. And so I bring this up because we have an administration. I'm sorry I'm going back at this Biden administration. It's, 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 it's a wicked administration because it's trying to force yes. our yes. medical teams, Catholics, to compromise their moral conscience. They're not letting us have a, a clause that says, hey, I'm a Catholic, I don't do abortions. They're saying now the administration is, the heck with you, you Catholic uh, uh, morality. This is the United States, and we're not going to acknowledge that you guys can do anything other than do what the government tells you. And again, Jess, this is a time for Catholic physicians and hospital nurses to say, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to agree with your positions of killing unborn babies. And this is why we help patients, because we have to understand 
that this is a living image of God. Each person has been created in the, by Jesus Christ, by God, by, the, by, by God's design. So there are no mistakes. And so when people say, well, this one's not wanted, that's not what God, is, God says. So we're going to follow God's law rather than the Biden administration. Yes, I agree, Terry. And let me tell you, even the, the, the Mayo Clinic was inspired by a Catholic nun. Most people don't know this. Oh, yeah. Nuns helped, us, nuns helped to start the Mayo Clinic back. Uh, here's a story. In 1883, a devastating tornado hit Rochester, Minnesota. Yep. Dr. William Mayo, who was caring for injured victims, requested the help of Catholic nuns. When the crisis passed, Mother Alfred Mose, the founder of the Sisters of St. Francis of Our Lady of Lourdes, discussed a dream that she had with Dr. Mayo. The dream was about the two of them building a world-recognized hospital in Rochester, New York. The result, the result of that dream and that meeting was St. Mary's Hospital. Yep. Opened up in 1895, it drew so many patients, it spawned the Mayo Clinic. So the result of hundreds of basic medical innovations, but the foundation of all of them was the hard work, faith, and frugality of this nun. Well, God bless our Catholic medical people. Hey, we come back evangelizing through authentic friendship. Yeah, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We'll talk about that, especially when it comes to our relatives and friends who we want to bring to Christ. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. I'm going to be on the show with my wife, the Bible with the Barbers, after this show here. And one of the questions, it's a teaser. It's about a, a verse in the Gospel of Matthew that's missing. What's that all about? I hope that teases you to want to listen to the show. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a, a good show on questions and answers about the Bible. If you're interested in the Bible, which I hope we all are, stay with us. And if you can't get it on your station, go to vmpr.org and pick up our free app. And that way you can listen to all of our programs that we do. Jesse, this is a great article you picked out, Evangelizing Through Authentic Friendship. Let's talk about that, brother. Yeah, Terry, well, it's Friday, TGIF, thank God I'm forgiven. Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about uh, the the Biden administration, Fauci, the CCP, (laughs) Klaus Schwab. I wanted to to just kind of uh, leave on a high note. So, Michael Adams wrote an article evangelizing through authentic friendship. Recently, while talking to an old friend, I realized we're the epitome of the saying that opposites attract. I could likely count the number of our shared beliefs on one hand and have asked, he would classify himself as an atheist. Yet, after hundreds of disagreements, we, can, we continue to put aside our differences and share a mutual love and admiration for each other. This friendship has baffled many of my religious friends. They fail to see how two polar opposites can remain so close. I can even admit that their responses from the outside perspectives are just, as it is strange to me too at times. However, the reality of the friendship behind closed doors is a different story. Behind these doors, the deep respect, love, and admiration for one another mirror that of which can only be present in a true, virtuous friendship. Although I've never questioned the quality of our friendship, I recently found it being challenged in a lecture I attended on Aristotle's three kinds of friendship. 
The primary goal of the lecture was to consider Aristotle's definition of friendship through a Catholic lens. It wasn't until that evening that I found myself truly bewildered mm -hmm. as to why my friend and I have maintained a deep bond while failing to share the deepest similarities in our beliefs. Aristotle describes each friendship as falling into one of three categories. Number one, pleasure. Two, utility. Three, virtue. Although each of these types of friendships have been discussed by many, I'd like to take a closer look at friendship, at the friendship of virtue, and the criteria that was added to the definition that evening. In the standard Aristotelian definition of virtuous friendship, the two parties must be, must be good themselves, alike in virtue, and wish well to each other for the sake of the other. Contrary to what I wanted to hear, this lecture was making the claim that in, in, that in addition to the standard definition of virtuous friendship, a deep shared commonality, namely faith, must be shared between the two parties. And at the deepest core of our being, we must share something substantial and in the highest form of virtuous friendship. This must be our shared Christian faith. Terry, you want to pick it up? Yeah, this is good stuff. And you know, Jesse, as frustrated as it was to have his said his friendship challenged, the claim made were hard to refute. Even when sticking to only Aristotle's definition, I found myself questioning the purpose of my friendship. Aristotle says that the two parties with the friendship of virtue must be good and alike in virtue. In the Christian life, to be good and virtuous is to be like God, who is perfect goodness. Through this lens, it makes sense that our most virtuous friendships would have had to share belief in our Catholic faith. How else can someone strive for goodness and virtue without the supreme good, God, present in their lives? Being able to see the logic behind this, I became quite defensive as I felt my friendship erode beneath me. Virtuous friendship now seems unattainable for my friend and for me or anyone else that was not Catholic, it would seem. Here's the kicker. If we isolate ourselves from the nuns of the world, what hope is there? Yeah, nuns. Not, not sisters. Yeah, no, no, no. Talking about the people who are practicing their faith. Uh, what I, hope is there for them to encounter Jesus Christ? I'm gonna, just going to say one more thing. We got to. I know this article. No, I'm going to continue. But t the point of it is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I meet with guys once a month who are not Catholic, who are falling away Catholics, always talking about my faith to them. One of them came back to church out of about eight. But I still meet with these guys, and many of them are atheists, actually atheists. So just continue on the article, because this is why I meet with them. I don't like the particular uh, breakfast I eat with them, but you know what? I want to be a witness to these men, because I've known them for 50 years. And you know what, Jess? I tell them, dude, I don't want to see you in hell for all eternity. I'm not. I'm planning to go to heaven. I'm going to follow Christ. Go ahead, Jess. Yeah. Nervously, I began discussing the friendship with the lecturer, as many before him, myself included, he was bewildered by the fruits the friendship had produced. Yeah. We began to create various hypotheticals surrounding the, surrounding the friendships, our intentions, and how it would be possible to reconcile the definition of Christian virtuous friendship yeah. and the relationship I was experiencing. At the end of the night, we came to the conclusion that although we didn't share the same belief in Jesus Christ, at the core of our beings, we desired the same thing, to find and know the truth. At this point, I have come to accept that individuals must share a deep, a deep good in their hearts for virtuous friendship to occur. 
in Christians, this deep good is Jesus Christ, but many of the people we encounter do not share this belief. So how are we to approach friendship with them? It is important to consider this question. If we do not, it is a slippery slope to isolation from anyone who does not share our beliefs, which will stifle our own growth and leave a bitter taste of Christianity in their mouth as well. Additionally, if we isolate ourselves from the nuns of the world, N-O-N-E-S, what hope is there for them to encounter Jesus Christ? Realizing this, the lecturer and I continue to discuss what this meant for all friendships, and more specifically, how this insight could inform our view of evangelizing the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. We came to the conclusion that my friend and I found our mutual desire for the truth by intimately sharing our lives with one another. When we talk, we're telling the other the details of our days, emotions, experiences, without shielding one another from the reality of our beliefs. Our efforts to find and know the truth led us to different conclusions, yet we found a deep good that we share. In any conversation, there's a temptation to conceal the full truth of ourselves when we're speaking with someone who does not share our beliefs out of fear of rejection or disdain. While this is a, a temptation, we may all experience this is not true friendship. Still, there is hope for the future. For a true virtuous friendship to occur, yes, there must be a shared, deep commonality, but there must first be authentic intimacy shared as well. Without this vulnerability and giving of ourselves to the other, it is not possible to discover what could lay beneath the surface. This surely is a risk, but it's a risk worth taking. When we take the risk, we open the door to share the deepest good in us, that is, Jesus Christ. Amen. In this action, we allow Jesus to step in and become the evangelizer. This takes the pressure off of us and gives the greatest evangelizer room to work. We, we need not conform or shrink behind secular society. Rather, we must authentically open ourselves up and allow others a peek into the ultimate good in us so that all may come to know Jesus more fully. Terry? This is good stuff. I want to just break in right now. According to Pew Research, 29% of individuals who consider themselves religiously unaff unaffiliated is up from 16% in 2007. Jesse and I are going to be giving some talks at a Aquinas Radio next week on this very subject, so I want people to stay tuned. Mary Danielle, you're in the other studio. I want to give people a teaser about the Bible with the barbers and what we're talking about, a scripture verse in Matthew that was missing, what that's all about. Don't give it away. I want people to join us after this. And again, they can join us by getting the free app, vmpr.org, and downloading an app that's free on your, on your phone. What do you want to tell the people about what you're going to talk about later after this show? Well, you can look up Matthew 17 and see if you can find a verse 21 yeah, there you go. in chapter 17 of Matthew. Yeah. So we want to talk about why there's no verse 21 there. There are other questions we want to discuss. Um, someone asked this week about inerrancy, and they referred to the deposit of faith. And so we want to talk about deposit of faith, scripture, the inerrancy. What do these things Good. mean to us as Catholics? Awesome. Well, that can be tuned into right after our show. Jesse, the final thoughts on this whole issue of the nuns. Uh, this is a huge topic, and, and our churches are just being emptied because of secular humanism. Your final thoughts on this article? My final thought 
are this, that yeah. the, the Christian life is simple, Terry. Yeah. We're called to do our duties according to our state in life there you go. until the Lord calls us to his judgment seat. And life is like a credit card. What do I mean by that? You can swipe and swipe, but at the end, somebody's got to pay the bill. When you die, here's the question. Will you have enough capital to pay your bill? I don't think you will. I certainly won't. The only one that can pay your bill is the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's ask him every day, if you're a believer, ask him to wipe your slate clean. Pray the act of contrition. Go to confession. If you're not a believer, I ask you to give Jesus a chance. Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, is the only one that can pay your sin debt and wipe your slate clean. If you're a non-believer, I ask you, try Jesus, call him into your life, and come and knock at the door of the nearest Catholic church and say, I want to try RCIA. I want to give this a shot. And Jess, I'm going to add to your article. I've been telling many people to go get your article at jesseromero.com, how to keep your faith and your sanity in this present darkness. One of the things I really like is staying focused on your domestic church, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. Well, you just said your daily duty. This is what God's calling us to do. We must save our families beyond anything else. That's the first order of business. And you quote Joshua 24:15. You quote Acts 16:31. And um, I like what you also say at the end of the day. Remember, God is in control. He's not asleep at the wheel, <laughs> as they say. say. Uh, he loves everybody on this planet. This is His Catholic Church, and His divine providence is guiding the church through these rough waters for final victory. As Saint Padre Pio said, "Pray, hope, and don't worry. Worry is useless." God is merciful, and he will hear your prayers. Yes, Romero, what state should we be living in, brother? Last time I checked, live in a state of sanctifying grace. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. Become holy or die trying. Remember, life is like a credit card. You can swipe and swipe, but only one person can pay that bill. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Call upon the name of Jesus. Go to confession if you're Catholic. And remember, Jesus Christ paid a debt that we that we owe God the Father because we owe a debt that we cannot pay. Well said, and don't forget Our Lady of Fatima said, souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. This is Friday. What sacrifice can we make and you make to help save a soul? Up next, Bible with the Barbers. Yeah, Matthew 17, verse 21. It's gone. What's that all about? Come on, stay with us by going to vmpr.org and downloading our free app. We'll see you in the next time. God bless you.